Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Anyway, good morning, Christchurch London Central Service. How are you today? Great. <laughs> well, uh, we are on week eight, nine, the final week of the series of talks we've been working through this term, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit through the New Testament book of Acts. And just to repeat, we think this has been a really significant series for us as a church, that maybe God has been speaking to us about pursuing deeper relationship with him and asking for more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church. And uh, to that end, just as a heads up, once we get through the Christmas period from the new year, we're going to start a brand new series on the subject of worship, just to kind of continue this theme of connecting more deeply with God. Uh, For now, though, it's all about finishing off our series on the Acts of the Spirit. Uh, I'm going to read in a moment from Acts 20. If you have a Bible, I would love you to turn there. And uh, just to set the scene before we read together. Uh, One of the most strategic cities where a church gets started in the book of Acts, you could argue, is probably the city of Ephesus. According to the Greek philosopher Strabo, Ephesus was second only in size and importance to Rome itself. And a guy called Paul is there for three years, helping to get a church started, debating and reasoning with people about the Christian faith, performing extraordinary miracles, demonstrating the life of the Spirit that's possible when you follow Jesus. And his ministry there is so fruitful that we are told a large number of people come to faith, not only in Ephesus, but actually in the whole province of Asia. As an aside, that's why cities were and are so strategically important. You get a healthy church going in a city, you can impact an entire region. That was a key part of Paul's early church growth strategy. But the time has come for Paul to move on. There are new cities to reach, new churches to start. And so Paul calls the leaders of the church in Ephesus together, and he gives them a farewell message. He's never going to see these guys again. It's some parting words to finish our series on the Acts of the Spirit. Acts 20, and the words will be on the screen shortly, and I'm going to read from verse 17. This is what it says. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know in every city the Holy Spirit warns me prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today, I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember, for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement, they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him 
to the ship. Interestingly, in the whole of the book of Acts, these are the only words, the only text of a speech delivered exclusively to Christians. And I think it's kind of appropriate that we are wrapping up our series on the Acts of the Spirit here, because Paul is wrapping up his own ministry in Ephesus with these words. And what a ministry it has been. An entire city, an entire region has been changed. And so he is really keen that the momentum that he has started continues. What's he going to say? And as I scrolled down the text of his speech, I was surprised that his first and primary command is this. You want to keep all of this going? Keep watch over yourselves. And those are the four words I want to focus on pretty exclusively today. Keep watch over yourselves. Because I really think this series has been important for us. I think it's been some wonderful moments of ministry, people receiving prayer, not just on Sundays. It feels like God's kind of put something into us as a church. How do we make sure we don't lose it? We keep watch over ourselves. For those of us, I've had many conversations with people who feel like, I think I've made some progress in this area, even if it's little baby steps. How do we make sure we don't slip back to where we were before this series started? We keep watch over ourselves. And there are three areas today I kind of want to charge us as a church to keep watch. I'm sure there are many others. As I was praying for us, I felt I should focus on just three. And the first is this. We want to keep growing in this area. Keep watch over your minds. Keep watch over your minds. The main reason that Paul tells this church, hey guys, keep watch. You want to keep all of this going, keep watch. Is he goes on to explain, savage wolves will come in and they will not spare the flock. Nasty people will come in and they're going to do a whole load of damage. How are they going to do damage? Well, essentially by telling lies, by distorting the truth. One of the big dangers for this fledgling church is they end up believing stuff that turns out not to be true and it ends up robbing them of the life that they could otherwise be living. And so Paul charges them, guys, watch your thinking. Guard your thought life. Keep watch over yourselves. And I think there is a really important lesson for us there. I was chatting with a guy called Paul McConaughey about this whole battlefield for the mind recently. He's a great friend of us here at Christchurch, part of our Council of Reference, currently in leadership in a church in the US. And he gave a comparison that really stuck with me. He said, in the Old Testament, God says to the Israelites, verses like Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 8, I have given you the promised land. This is now yours. Land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good promise from God. But they still have to fight battles and overcome challenges to inherit that which God has already given them. Well, something similar happens in the New Testament. Jesus gives outrageous promises like, hey, follow me and you will have life and life in all its fullness. We've looked through this term at the life in the spirit that is possible for followers of Jesus. But it does not happen automatically. It's not like you receive the Spirit and suddenly life is qualitatively different forevermore. No, when you follow Jesus, there are still challenges to be overcome and battles to be fought that we might walk into everything God's got for us. 2 Corinthians 10 talks about this. It describes what it calls strongholds of the mind, patterns of thinking that can rob us of the life we might otherwise be living. And the language of 2 Corinthians 10 is very violent. He says, you want everything God's got for you. You need to go up here and violently pull down those strongholds, lest you miss out. What might taking captive every thought, pulling down strongholds in our minds, look like today? Well, let me take a longer run up to this. I was reading a fascinating article in New York magazine recently that was seeking to solve a sociological mystery that's been taking place in Brazil. 
Rewind to the 1960s, and the average number of children per family in Brazil was 6.3. Pretty large families in Brazil. Fast forward a few decades, and that had dropped to just 2.3 children per family. Now, just to spell that out, that is an extraordinary, an extraordinary sociological shift in just a few decades, and nobody could understand why. The government had done no campaigning on family size through this period. In fact, at one point, all forms of contraception were even banned, and yet fertility rates continued to drop. What on earth was going on? Well, as the researchers began to delve into this mystery, they zeroed in on one factor above everything else, and it was this, television. It was television. You see, across this period, TV was being rolled out widely across the nation of Brazil. And by far and away, leagues ahead of everything else, the most popular TV shows were called novelas, soap operas. And when you are writing a script for a soap opera, it makes it rather complicated if every family has six, seven, eight plus children. There are just too many characters to keep track of. So for all of these novelas, they restricted the family size to naught, one, two, three children just to make the script work. And the researchers could show as novelas went into region after region after region, fertility rates started dropping significantly. A remarkable result. What on earth was going on? Well, essentially what was happening was this. Subconsciously or otherwise, people were watching these novelas, these soap operas, and thinking, oh, that's what family life should look like. And family size was being shaped as a result. Utterly extraordinary. Now, the implications for us are far broader than simply family size. We are in the most media-saturated gener generation in all of history. We are in one of the most media-saturated cities in all of the world. There is not a single person in this room that is entirely a self-made person. Even today, we're all being shaped and sculpted by the messages and influences and people that are around us every single day. You know what, Christchurch London? We need to keep watch. We need to watch our thinking and look out for patterns of thought, strongholds of thinking that can stop us moving forward in the life of the Spirit. Guard your thought life. Keep watch. What might a stronghold of thought be in our minds that we need to pull down? Let me just give you one from our culture. We are fed this pap every day. Here's one of them. That your value is defined by how you look or what you achieve. You will walk past 20, 30, 50 advertisements on your way home, even today, that are subtly sending you that message. You want a great life? Look like this. Achieve this. You want to be someone worth listening to? Do this with your life. It is not true. That is a lie. It is a distortion of the truth. And we need to go up here into our thinking and pull that down. You know, one of the most common strongholds of thinking that I have discovered in people in this church over the last 14 years of doing it, one-on-one -on -one pastoral conversations. People have said things like this to me again and again. Words to this effect, I am too much of a failure for God to ever use anyone like me. Or he might use the holy people at the front. He might use those good people over there. He wouldn't use me. I've done too much bad stuff. I failed too often. If I was to step out of my comfort zone, it'd just go horribly wrong. It's just not true. It is a lie. And yet I have watched thoughts like that rob people of walking into everything God's got for them. Guys, we need to keep watch. How's your thought life? Anything going on up here that could cause you to just slip back in your faith and just plateau and stagnate? Any strongholds up here you need to pull down.
Some of you may have heard of a quite brilliant Spanish explorer called Hernando Cortes. In the spring of 1519, Cortes set sail from the shores of Cuba for Mexico. His goal was to lay hold of the famous Aztec treasure, which at that point in history was known to be the richest in all of the world. He had in his employ just 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, just 16 horses and 11 ships. And halfway through his voyage, Cortes realized he got a little bit of a problem because he heard the sailors talking. You see, nobody had taken the Aztec treasure for over 600 years, six centuries of failure. And the soldiers knew it. And they were saying things like, army after army after army has gone before us. They've all failed. What makes us any different? We've only got 16 horses. Only 500 soldiers. We don't know the terrain. This is away territory for us. They were defeated before they had even begun. And so when they got to Mexican soil, Cortes had an idea, and he issued a three-word order that changed everything. And the order was this, burn the ships. Those 11 ships that we've just arrived on, we're going to send them up in flames. What was Cortes doing? Well, metaphorically speaking, he was pulling down a stronghold. What he was saying to his soldiers was this, there is a treasure I want us to lay hold of. And when we start facing challenges, when we start fighting battles, I don't want any patterns of thinking up here where you can say to yourself, oh, if things are tough, I can just retreat to my ship with my tail between my legs and sail away to safety. In other words, if we're going to go home, we're going to go home in their ships. Well, the soldiers fought well. And for the first time in 600 years, they laid hold of the Aztec treasure. And as I reread that story, it kind of got me thinking. After all that we have looked at this series, if we want to keep growing, if we want to keep moving forward, are there any ships up here we need to burn? Any patterns of thinking we need to send up in flames that say, I'm just going to settle? I'll just stick where it's easy. I was having a conversation with somebody in this church a few weeks ago, and I have had too many conversations like this through this series for it just to be a coincidence. Somebody impacted by the series had just decided, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and step into maybe God's got some more stuff for me in this area. And they owned up to me. They were very honest with me. They said, as soon as I decided to do that, it was like I had a recurring monologue in my mind. You're going to fail. People won't listen to you. Don't even bother trying. You won't be as good as them. This is going to go disastrously wrong. You're just going to fail. This person said, I was so tempted to go back to my comfort zone, nobody would ever know. You know what they had to do? They had to go up here and start fighting. And they decided, you know what? I'm not going to give in to fear. I am not going to settle for the path of least resistance. I'm not going to stay where it's comfortable. And they got out of their comfort zone. You know, one of the things they did was they prayed for somebody who reported back pain. And as they prayed the simplest prayer, this person said the back pain left immediately. Was that God? I don't know, but it sounds like him. But my reflections were twofold. Firstly, that moment seemed to be more significant for the prayer than the prayee. The person whose back pain disappeared was like, oh, wonderful, pain's gone. Thank you, Jesus. And off they went on their merry little way. But for the person who did the praying, they were like, oh my goodness, God used me. He used someone like me. I want to pray for somebody else. I want to keep growing. But the point is this, they would have missed it completely if they had given in to what was going on up here. It's almost the end of term. I think God's put some stuff in us as a church. 
It's important for us that we keep growing. There's a life of the Spirit that's possible for us. How could we lose it if we don't keep watch? And we just think to ourselves, oh, it's just for those people over there. Those people in history who are like better than me. It's not for me. No, keep watch. Pull those strongholds down. Let's guard our thought life because there is more. Second area I want to charge us as a church to keep watch is we keep watch over our mission. See, often when churches teach on the work of the Holy Spirit, there is a mistake that they make. And sometimes maybe we're in danger of making that mistake too. And to illustrate this, I want to use an illustration I've used before. No apologies for repetition, because it is really important for life as well as for faith. I've got here a little flip chart. And what I want to draw on this flip chart is a very simple graph that shows the natural rhythm and flow to our emotional life. Uh, if you can't see it at the back, there's something coming up on the screen that basically illustrates something akin to what I am drawing. Now, in reality, our emotions are way more complicated than this. Our emotions are a bit more like this. Next slide, there we go. But there is a natural rhythm and flow to the way that our emotions work. So, uh, for example, if you go on an amazing holiday, you might feel a bit blue on your return to work, to pick an arbitrary example. In other words, nobody can be happy the whole time. That is an unrealistic goal for life. And you can apply this to pretty much anything. I mean, marriage, for example. Nobody can maintain the intoxicating feelings of the honeymoon period indefinitely. That's why love changes over time. You can apply this to fashion. So, for example, if I went down the local high street and kitted myself out in the latest fashions, you'd be like, wow, Andy, he's so cool, he's the man, check him out. Look at me. But if I hang on to those clothes a little too long, suddenly I'm a bit behind the times. I'm not quite so cool anymore. If I hang on to those clothes for too long, ooh, I'm like as out of touch and out of date as it's possible to be. I am totally uncool. Hey, if that is you, be encouraged. Hang on to those clothes a little longer and you're going to come back into fashion again. You're retro, hey? Last, hang on, my friend. There is hope for you yet. <laughs> now, here is the mistake that churches often make when they teach on the work of the Holy Spirit. It becomes shorthand for feel-good Christianity. You want to live a great life? Have more of the Holy Spirit. Going through a tough time right now? Have more of the Holy Spirit. Often I hear churches talk of the Holy Spirit as little more than a happy pill. You could be forgiven for thinking that through this series. We've talked about the Spirit giving courage and faith and boldness and life and working miracles and helping with explosive church growth and unity. And It just sounds amazing. Who doesn't want that? We need to realize it's only part of the story. John Stott's commentary on Acts is excellent on this. It talks about the rhythm through the book of Acts, blessing but also battle breakthrough but also lots and lots of trouble more on this in a moment but you get a feel for it in the passage that we read I mean verses 22 to 23 Paul gets a prophetic word from God oh sounds amazing coming up on the screen let me just paraphrase this this is the Tilsley translation in the Bible a bit blasphemous but work with me the Holy Spirit comes to Paul and says hey Paul how are you doing oh hello Holy Spirit how are you oh I'm, I'm fine thank you I've got a prophetic word for you oh Holy Spirit I'm all ears well Paul I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen when you get to every city you're going to. I just want you to know it's going to be bad. Bye! <laughs> That's basically what the Holy Spirit does here. Paul, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. Just a heads up, though. It's going to be bad. It's going to be really, really bad. And it actually gets worse. Because Paul says, hey, God's spoken to me. It's not just going to be bad for me. It's going to be bad for you. Savage wolf will come in. They will not spare the flock. 
A small wonder at the end of this closing sermon, everybody is in tears. It's like the most depressing sermon ever. We're all doomed. And actually, if you look at it in its wider context, it gets worse even still. You see, right now in Paul's journey, he's heading for Jerusalem. Ultimately, Rome, end of Acts. Right now, it is Jerusalem. And the author, Luke, makes a number of comparisons that almost certainly the first readers would have picked up on with somebody else's journey to Jerusalem where they ended up giving up their very life, Jesus himself. Comparisons will come up on the screen behind me. In other words, the author is communicating to the reader, you want this life of the Spirit? You want more from God? Well, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it may end up costing you everything. More than that, as I'm sure most of you are aware, the book of Acts that we've been going through this term, it's the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Both are written by Luke, the doctor, and they are addressed to most excellent Theophilus. Who on earth was he? Well, we don't know to be sure, but the only people in the whole of the book of Acts that are addressed as most excellent are Felix, Acts 23, and Festus, Acts 26, both Roman governors. And it is highly possible, having read into this, I think likely that the whole of the book of Acts, this life of the spirit that we have been going through this term, is written by Dr. Luke to a Roman governor as some kind of legal document, some kind of factual account. Because as these words are being written down, Paul is in prison and facing trial and possible execution. This whole life of the spirit is anything but feel-good Christianity. If we are really hungry for more, if God's got more for us as a church, I wonder there'll be some amazing stories. I can't wait. Heads up, there'll be lots and lots of trouble. And if you are anything like me, what happens when you face trouble, fear, criticism, opposition, is everything within you wants to retreat to where it's comfortable and safe. And you end up plateauing and stagnating in your Christian walk. And you settle for same old, same old, because the alternative feels too tough. Guys, if we get into 2018 and we start moving forward and trouble comes, how do we get over these moments? All comes down to the mind again, comes down to our focus. Here's the way that Paul puts it. He says, my only focus, my only aim, verse 24, is to finish the race. Good times, bad times, they're going to come and go. Successes, failures, no, this is what I'm living for, the end of the race. That's where my focus is. I'm not going to let bad times put me off. Now, what struck me, I think, most about this closing sermon from Paul to this church, I mean, they've had the most amazing three years. A whole city's been changed. How do they keep it going? What's Paul going to say? Any radical new instruction? No, he just reminds them more than anything else about his mission. The troubles, the trials, the testing, the tears. But just keep going, guys. Remember the mission. Trust me. Live on. There is more. In other words, if we're hungry for more in God, we're going to have to remind ourselves, okay, this is tough right now, but I'm not living for me and my glory. I'm living for something greater. And just as some kind of perverse encouragement, if you want to grow in any area of life, let alone the life of the Spirit, you're going to have to navigate some of these difficult periods of life. You want to grow in any area, you've got to go through this. Let me just give you a really silly example. Uh, my wife and I have been married 10 years this year. First year of marriage, we've been married about three, four months. I decided I'm going to teach my wife, Joy, how to drive. Uh, she couldn't drive at the time. I thought, I'm going to give Joy some driving lessons. It did not go well. Uh, apparently, I repeatedly talked in a tone of voice that was not conducive to building a happy marriage. 
I have raised my voice on a few occasions. The, the, the lowest point was when I grabbed the steering wheel and shouted out loud, I quote, oh no, we're going to die. We're all going to die. I mean, there were indicators and windscreen wipers going. We were bunny hopping or swerving all over the road. I mean, boy, oh boy, first year of marriage. Jesus led us through the valley of the shadow of death on those driving lessons. He really did. But the point is this. We did not give up because we're like, oh no, we've we got to tool up here. And when you learn any new skill, it gets difficult for a bit. We've got to push through. That's exactly what the life of the Spirit is like. And you get through by focusing on, okay, this is why we're doing this. We're focused on the mission. We want to tool up. You know, I can totally relate to that thought that goes on in your mind. Andy, you're going to fail. You try and step out in that area, people aren't going to listen. Don't even bother trying. You'll never do it as good as them. Just give up now. I can totally relate to that. And you see, it's not enough to say, I'm going to go up here and pull down that stronghold. It's a lie and I won't believe it. And here's the reason, because it's not quite a lie. It's a distortion of the truth. You see, I will sometimes fail. Now, some of you have known me for a long time. Now, I'm not going to do this, but if I ask for a show of hands, who here has seen me fail? Wow. It'd be like the end of a music concert. There'd be lighters waved in the air. I mean, you know, I failed a lot. So what I have to do is I have to go up and like pull down. I'm like, I'm not going to give in to fear. But then I have to replace it with truth. Yeah, I am going to fail. But he never does. Yeah, I am going to fail. But my life is not to be defined by failure. My value doesn't come from that. My value comes from his love for me, displayed in the person of Jesus. That's who I'm living for. That's my right. Yeah, I am going to fail. But God isn't looking for success from me. He's after faithfulness. Plenty of times in the Bible and in life where things seem to get worse when you follow Jesus. How do you push through? Remember the mission. Remember the mission. Focus on that. Don't live for feel-good Christianity. It's not a product on the shelf to compare with other products to make you feel good about life. There is more. We're here to make a difference in this city. Sometimes that might mean things get tough. We push through by focusing on the mission. As most of you are aware, uh, we have four services right now, South Central, West End, East London. And we're praying that 2018, our fifth, will happen in Sutton, Zone 5, South London. And uh, as we've shared from the stage 12 months ago, just under 20 adults, 20 kids, like, we really want to start a service here. So we gave them a challenge. Can you double this year? And I was there a month ago, and the atmosphere was electric. 44 adults, seven regulars away, 30 children. It's brilliant. But having been close up to their journey, because I live down there, they deserve the credit, uh, they've done uh, most of the work. One of the things I've observed about their journey is they have really put themselves out there when it comes to inviting other people to Alpha and Church. I mean, they have invited hundreds. Schoolgate, posts on social media, sports events. I don't have the stats to hand. My hunch is they've probably invited more people to church in Alpha than any other service. And there's just 30 of them down there. It's been amazing to see. And you know what? When they've invited all these people, they've just been rejected a lot. A whole load of people have said, mm, no, not for me, thanks. Sometimes it's been a bit awkward. I was at one sports event. We've been playing football. And at the end, one of the guys says, hey, who wants to come to Alpha tomorrow? I'm studying it tomorrow night. And everyone said no. All got a bit cringy. But you know what? Amidst all of the rejection, a whole load of people have said yes. A whole load of people have said, yeah, I'd love to come. I want to go along. I'm going to be with you this Sunday. One of my favorite stories, just two weeks ago, one of our friends, a dad at the school gate, he gets one of the other dads and he says, hey, you, 
my wife has changed so much since going to your church and alpha thing that I want to come to so I get that change in my life as well. Isn't that amazing? But the point is this, those great moments of breakthrough have come amidst lots of disappointment and rejection as well. But they're like, we're living with something greater. We want to get this service off the ground, so we'll just push through regardless. We up for that. We up for that. I really believe God's got some great stuff for us. But he's looking for men and women who won't settle, who won't play it safe. We've got to remind ourselves regularly, guard our thought life, I'm not doing this for me and temporary comfort. I'm living for something greater. Keep watch over our minds. How's your thought life? Remember the mission. And then thirdly and finally, how do we make sure we keep growing in this area? Keep watch over your mates. Keep watch over your mates. I could have said uh, keep watch over your friends or your community here, but mates begins with ma, and so mind, mission, mates works a bit better. Maybe we'll remember it for half an hour after the service rather than 20 minutes. Who knows? I can but hope. But hey, it says keep watch over yourselves and the flock. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock. And a lot of commentaries say probably the order is significant. You'll do better caring for others when you're leading yourself well. Nonetheless, if we want everything God's got for us, we so need each other. We so need each other. Paul knew all about this. 2 Corinthians 7, we told he gets this dream about going to a place called Macedonia, starting a brand new church. And um, it's tough. He talks about conflicts on the outside and fears on the inside. I find it really encouraging that Paul, this amazing man of the Spirit, oh, he experienced fear. How did he overcome it? 2 Corinthians 7, 6, he writes, but God comforted me with the coming of Titus. God didn't zap him with a Holy Spirit moment. Ooh, comfort, that's nice. No, he brought a person into his life. God so often works this way. Joel mentioned in his notices a monkey moment. I'm going to give you that analogy because I think it fits nicely here. Yeah, preach it. I was, um, I was uh, aware of a fascinating biology experiment. This is um, years ago now. Biologists took a monkey and they took a monkey and put it in a cage. Have you got a photo? There it is, monkey in a cage. And they scared the monkey. Lights noise, shook the cage, and they measured the fear levels, the cortisol levels in the monkey's brain. Huge levels of fear, if you can, as you can imagine. Then all they did was they opened the cage door and they put in a second monkey. Have we got that? Second monkey? There they are. Oh, would you listen to yourselves? <laughs> and they did the same thing. Lights, noise, shook the cage, and they measured the fear. Now, the monkeys were still scared. Of course, scary thing to go through. But the fear levels were reduced by over half. Amazing result. Now, the moral for us is this. We want to go on a great adventure with God. We want to fight battles and challenges and overcome. Do you want to be somebody who knows what it is to break through fear? Then you need to find yourself a monkey. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. You know, as I walk into more of what God's got for me, the reason I'm able to grow is I've got some monkeys in my life. David Stroud. <laughs> He's my monkey. I don't call him that. But he is. Big gorilla or something, I don't know. My wife, Joy. She's my monkey. I, I do call her that out of interest. <laughs> Lars Du Christensen. Well, he just looks like a monkey, but you get the point that I'm making. No, he's my monkey too. <laughs> now, here's my question for you. Have you got a monkey? If you want to grow in this area, have you got a monkey? C.S. Lewis wrote a brilliant essay on friendship. One of his observations was, 
Every single culture relegates friendship to the backseat of life because it is not a biological necessity. Let me unpack that for us. In a Western individualistic culture like our own, it is erotic love, sexual love, romantic love that we emphasize and prioritize. I mean, just to illustrate, if I took all the songs in our culture on sex, romance, love, and put them on one side of the room, and all the songs on friendship and put them on the other side of the room, which pile would be bigger? It wouldn't be a contest. I mean, you go into a shop to buy a magazine. What's on the front of the magazine? It's not, ooh, who's best friends with who? No. Who cares who's best friends with who? But, ah, oh, who's sleeping with who? Ah, oh, that's what we want to know. I said that a bit too creepily. I'm sorry. I'd <laughs> like to apologize. Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. But our, our culture, I'm going a bit red. Our culture is not turned on by friendship. Our culture is not turned on by friendship. In a traditional conservative culture, it is familial love that comes first. Blood ties, mother, father, brother, sister. In a more socialistic, communitarian culture, it's more civic relationships, neighbor, government, and so on and so forth. And C.S. Lewis goes on to argue that to some extent, all of those are kind of biological necessities. None of us would be here without romantic love. None of us would have been raised or reared effectively without familial love. We all kind of need communitarian love to function in life. We need a police force in place and the relevant relationships that go with that. I need things like vocational networking to do my job effectively and so on and so forth. We kind of all need these. And so and so and so in a busy culture like our own, friendship will always be put to the backseat of life because it requires deliberate time, thought, attention and choice. And so in a city like London, we think, oh, I've not got time for that. I'm going to pursue these other things instead. And so we skim in community as a result. Guys, we need to keep watch. If we really want to grow, we need to keep watch. We need to push through these awkward moments of community. If you're tempted to run away quick at the end of church on Sunday, hang around through the socially awkward moments. It's only going to be the way we find friends. If you just skim... And don't tend to go to deeper levels of conversation. Push through. There's a wonderfully moving scene at the end of Acts 20 of Paul and his mates on their knees, weeping and embracing and praying. And at the end of this series on the Acts of the Spirit, that's the picture I want to finish with. Sounds a bit curious when we've looked at the life in the Spirit. Why am I finishing there? And here's the reason, because of all that we have looked at this term, great gifts of the Spirit, great life in the Spirit, there is something more important than all of that, and it is this, love. It's love. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have prophecy, can fathom all mysteries, if I've got faith and can move mighty mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. Again, nothing. Love more than anything else, is what will mark us out on this journey. Guys, we need to keep watch. We need to look out for each other. And I want to give a particular charge here to those of you who carry any form of leadership responsibility. This is primarily a message to leaders. Actually, it is for all of us. But primarily, this is a charge to leaders that Paul is giving here. 
Don't settle for shallow community. Keep watch over those around you. If you've got a friend that you've not seen for several weeks, call them up today and see how they're doing. Keep watch. When you're having people over for dinner, don't settle for small talk. Ask, how are things going up here? Any patterns of thought that are stopping you growing? Any moments where you're giving in to fear? Let's keep watch over each other. That's how we'll grow, more than anything else. Talking to my dad two weeks ago about a book he's reading called War and Grace. War and Grace. And amongst other things, it talks about the experience of some Christian prisoners of war in the Second World War in Japanese concentration camps. And it speaks of the brutality of their treatment. I mean, it's just horrific. I mean, they would just inflict the most hateful, terrible pain on these soldiers. And the Christians amongst them just responded with love. Got just rejection and hate. I'm just going to love you back. And it talks about how it broke many of the soldiers. They just couldn't handle it. And in numbers, many of them started turning to Jesus Christ because they'd never seen a love like it. I really believe with all of my heart that if we want to really grow, if we want everything God's got for us, love is the most powerful tool in our armory. Love. How do we grow? We've got to keep watch. We've got to look out for each other. We mustn't pursue other forms of friendship to the detriment of genuine community. The Bible says you cannot thrive in life without it. Have you got a monkey? Have you got real community? It doesn't happen automatically. We only get there with deliberate choice and careful thought. I've chatted to people in this service, and they've been around a while, and they still feel lonely. And the thing that strikes me is if you look from the outside, you'd never guess. Are we up for going deeper? Are we up for looking what's really happening inside? Are we going to be people who keep watch over each other? That's what will mark us out. That's what I think will define how far we go in this area. Keep watch. Maybe the band want to come up. How do we walk into everything God's got for us in the life of the Spirit? Keep watch over your thinking. Any ships up here that are telling you, oh, I'm just going to run to where it's safe. Burn them. Burn them today. Keep watch over the mission. God's made us for more than safety. Remember why we're here. Remember why we're doing this. And let's help each other do those two things. Let's keep watch over each other. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.